Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Christian men know that God has appointed them to lead their homes, but what does that look like? We don't want to fail in this role, but how can I succeed at what I know is one of my most important tasks when I can't actually define what that task is? In the next two episodes, our goal is for you to come away with a concrete picture of the three components of spiritual leadership in the home and how they work together to maximize our leadership impact in our families. Thanks for joining us today for Season 4, Episode number 10 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. As I wrestled this week to consider where our God-given calling as men slams against the strongest headwinds in our culture, I realized that it might be in being the spiritual leaders of our homes that Jesus wants us to be. The gale forces pushing against progress in leading our homes are powerful. The busyness of life, a culture that undermines godly manhood, Our own sense of inadequacy, our wives, after all, are much more spiritual and they don't get taken down by images on the internet. Perhaps the strongest headwind of all, though, is the question, where do I start? What do I actually do so that one day I hear my commander in chief whisper, Gary, I entrusted Sandy, Kim, Karen, Brian, Tim and Josh to you to lead to me. You have done that well. Yes, only I can make them spiritually alive, but you have led them well. The most valuable truth I've learned about leadership is that leadership is much bigger than authority. Authority is a vital subset of leadership. It needs to be used consistently and fairly. Our followers, especially when they are young, cannot learn character apart from painful consequences when they violate God's moral and creation laws. Scripture is clear, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Of course, the author of Hebrews illustrating the fatherhood of God in our lives. In an egalitarian culture where autonomy is the highest value, the biblical worldview counters authority is a good thing. God punishes sin. The boss has the power to fire. God gives the state power to punish wrong behavior. And parents need to exercise firm discipline to train their children. Our race's fall into evil has sent a desire for autonomy into the core of our being. Hearing that sin has consequences is not enough. For our character to be shaped by a hatred of evil, we need to experience pain when we disobey the moral law written on our conscience. If we deprive our children of painful punishment for disobedience, we never allow their character to be properly formed. They will never learn the pain of controlling their impulses, and they will become self-centered. That is why Proverbs warns tender-hearted parents, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. 
but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 13, 24. But leadership is bigger than authority. You might say authority is the power to coerce obedience. When kids are young, in our house, we use authority, discipline, to get the behavior we want, which also trains them. But when our kids are older, away from the house, if the child still chooses to do what you would want him to do, that's leadership. Authority uses force to coerce obedience, a good, necessary thing, not only for order, but to train a child to control his impulses. But leadership goes further. It accepts the responsibility of wielding authority, but goes beyond it to influence. Influence causes your child to want to obey you. The greater your influence, the less you need to use authority. In fact, leadership really is influence. Spiritual leadership in the home is the ability to get your wife and children to follow you in your love for Jesus. My favorite leadership proverb is, he who thinks he is leading when no one is following is only taking a walk. Successful spiritual leadership at home is creating a desire in your wife and in your children to want to follow you as you follow Christ. Authority, again, is a God-ordained structure that we must teach our children to respect. But effective leadership, especially with adults and teens, must go beyond authority. Harry Selfridge, the owner of a London department store chain, shows his managers the difference between seeing themselves as bosses or leaders. He writes, the boss drives people, the leader coaches them. The boss depends upon authority, the leader depends upon goodwill. The boss says, I, the leader says, we. The boss fixes the blame for the breakdown, the leader fixes the breakdown. The boss knows how it is done. The leader shows how it is done. The boss says, go. The leader says, let's go. Let's formulate a concrete picture of how leadership works. There really are only three components to leadership. The leader, the followers, and the objective to be reached. Leaders are taking people somewhere. The leader, this can be the one assigned leadership by God in the family or filling a leadership role at work, in the church, in the classroom, or on the athletic field. Being a leader is not synonymous with being an upfront person. A dad who is terrified of speaking up front can be a great leader to his kids, building that influence through time together looking under a car hood or throwing a football. Then there are the followers. For dads, it is our wife, kids, and grandkids. But followers can also be those I lead in my Bible study, those I serve in church leadership, a friend who has drifted from Christ that I am seeking to bring back, or a work associate I am trying to lead to Christ. Of course, our wives are in a different category. They co-lead our home. But nevertheless, the principles of leadership usually apply in our relationship with her as well. So we have the leaders, the followers, and thirdly, the objective. Leaders are taking their followers somewhere. There's a goal to achieve, a mountain to climb, a destination to reach. When we talk about spiritual leadership, that is influencing those around us toward Christ, we could define the goal as spiritual maturity. Here is a diagram that has been very helpful in explaining what leadership is 
but I'll have to describe it on the podcast. Picture a graph from your geometry class at the point of origin where the X and Y coordinates meet write the leader. Move up vertically on the Y axis and write the followers. Go back down to the origin where the leader is and move to the right across the X axis and write the objective. Now we're going to connect these dots with arrows so that this looks like a right triangle. These three arrows are the three fundamental components to leading. So first, draw an arrow across the x-axis from the leader to the objective. This is the process of modeling or staying focused on the objective. Then draw an arrow from the leader up the y-axis to the followers. This is the process of building a caring relationship with his followers. Then draw a line, the hypotenuse of the triangle, from the followers to the objective. This is the process of equipping his followers to reach the objective. Effective leadership follows the three arrows on the diagram. Let's do a quick overview of these three processes before going back to look at the first one in greater detail. So first, the arrow across the bottom. This is the arrow between the leader and the goal of spiritual growth. The leader must himself focus upon and model his own spiritual maturity. He must lead from his life, that is, model. However, there's a key point for men. What you model is direction, not perfection. The gospel is that we all get knocked down by our own sin. Our kids know we fail. It does not help them to see us try to hide our failure. What they need is to see us fail and then get up, get back into the race, and follow after Christ even harder. Similarly, when it comes to seeking to lead a lost person to salvation, as much as we want, rightly, to have that person see Jesus in us, it might be more important for the person to see someone in us who needs Jesus. Many times, non-Christians don't think they're good enough to be a Christian. So modeling is about direction, not perfection. The second arrow is on the left. This is the arrow between the leader and his followers going up the y-axis. A leader's influence is completely dependent upon the quality of his relationship with his followers. Leadership expert John Maxwell writes, If you want to influence others and you desire to get them moving in the right direction, you must connect with them before you try to take them anywhere. Attempting to do it before connecting is a common mistake of inexperienced leaders. Trying to move others before going through the connection process with them can lead to mistrust, resistance, and strained relationships. Always remember that you must share yourself before you share the journey. And then the third arrow from the upper left on the y-axis down to the lower right on the x-axis across the hypotenuse, this arrow runs from the followers to the objective, which is spiritual maturity. The leader equips and assists his followers to keep taking steps toward the goal, spiritual maturity. 
The best leader is not a hero. He is a hero maker. Good leaders, first, help their followers see their own potential. Second, encourage them to discover their own God-given gifts and passions. Third, equip them with training that they need to succeed. And fourth, give them honest feedback, praising their successes and pointing out their blind spots. It's interesting, many dads understand this part of fathering in the sports arena. We do everything we can to help our kids discover their athletic gifts, develop their skills at throwing, catching, kicking the soccer ball, etc., take them to countless practices, try to get them the best coaching we can, and root obnoxiously for them during the games. But Bob Hamron, the founder of Great Dads, asks, Dad, do you put as much energy into helping prepare your child to succeed spiritually as you do athletically? So again, there are just three main tasks of leading. Staying focused yourself on the mission, winning the hearts of your followers by loving them well, and challenging, equipping, and helping them move toward the goal of spiritual maturity. Now, let's dig deeper into the implications of this first arrow, and we'll look at the second two arrows next week. The first one, part one of the process of leading, model staying focused on the objective, spiritual maturity. The first part of leadership is always staying focused on our mission ourselves so that we can lead from our own lives. Paul wrote to Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. Notice that Paul called attention not just to what he said, my teaching, but to his everyday way of life and even to what Paul was pursuing as his mission, my purpose. Paul stayed focused on his mission, and he led from his life. The clear mission of the church is to make disciples. So let's look at that. When Jesus gave us this great commission to go and make disciples, those hearing it understood the meaning of that word, disciple, mathetes. Everyone knew that a disciple was a follower of a master. Jesus' hearers knew three things about a disciple— First, the disciple had the deepest kind of personal friendship with the master because they did life together. Second, the disciple patterned his whole life on the teaching and example of his master. The disciple's greatest goal was to be like his master. And third, the disciple, as a follower, joined in his master's cause. Jesus came into the world to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and establish his kingdom of righteousness. So we could summarize the callings of Christ followers this way. We are called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him. We are called to be like Christ, to holy Christ-like attitudes. And we are called to exercise dominion for Christ, to implement Christ's righteous agenda in our role as husband, father, employee, employer, neighbor, church member, steward of resources, and ambassador of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is our calling. So how do we stay focused on this mission? Again, this is that bottom third of what leadership's all about. Three ideas. First, have a concrete target to aim for. If you aim at nothing, that is what you usually hit. That's true in everyday life, and it's just as true in your spiritual life. If you fail to aim, aim to fail. Let's try to sharpen the clarity of our target right now. For example, called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him. Here are four requirements for your relationship with Christ to keep deepening. Number one, knowing that he enjoys you. 
What would it feel like in your heart to know that God not only accepts you, but that he richly enjoys you? To know that your company is his pleasure, your fellowship his joy, your face his delight. Words from Scotty Smith in Objects of His Affection. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Number two, time alone together with the world shut out. Again, a requirement for deepening our relationship with Christ. No love relationship can grow without quality time together. Third, delighting in each other. Praising and thanking God for who he is, his attributes, and sensing his pleasure with a couple of wins you've had this week that honored him. We must, after all, somehow abide in his love as our Lord commanded us. And then finally, honesty in the relationship is required. I need to be transparent about my sins, my anger, even with God, he can handle it, my disappointments, my fears, my hurts, my emotions. I'm trying to learn this myself, to take those to the Lord. Similarly, I need to be constantly growing in my knowledge of him. That's the way relationships grow. And the primary way he speaks to me and reveals himself to me is through his word. So just trying to sharpen the picture of what it means to be called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him. Well, how about the second part, being called to be like Christ, to Christ-like character? After all, this is God's will for us. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. To get greater clarity on Christ-like character, let's consider two virtues from Joshua 1. First, the virtue of strength. What is the definition of strength? It is might, power, capacity for exertion, endurance, power to resist force. What is the opposite? Weakness, quitting, giving in, surrendering, loving ease flabbiness. Well, what's the mental perspective required for this quality? Well, Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 2 Corinthians 12.9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Or thirdly, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So a few insights. First, God wants me to be strong, not flabby. So he will bring me situations to use my spiritual muscles to produce endurance. Second, feeling weak is not the path to failure, but the path to asking Jesus more passionately to give me his strength. Third, being spiritually strong is the opposite of the middle class value of comfort. Being warm, cozy, and indifferent to the spiritual battle is for weaklings. What about that second word, courage, that we run into in the first chapter of Joshua? What's the definition of courage? Mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Being resolute. Courage implies firmness of mind and will in the face of danger or extreme difficulty. What is its opposite? Cowardice, being mentally weak, being easily frightened, 
discouraged or dissuaded, being intimidated. Well, what is the mental perspective required for this quality? Confidence in Jesus' promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. Confidence that my perseverance matters. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What are some insights about courage? Well, courage is not being fearless. It's not letting fear prevail in our decisions. Courage is the fruit of mental toughness. Courage is the mental strength to refuse to give in to discouragement. Courage is trust in the character of God to give me the strength to withstand whatever pain or suffering obeying him now will cause in the future. We're looking at the first step in the leadership process, staying focused on our objective, spiritual maturity in Christ, and we've applied that at a deeper level, both with regard to walking closely with Christ and becoming more Christ-like. Let's go to a second principle for staying focused on our objective. Effectiveness in our mission requires us to resist distractions. A few kilowatts of light, if it is focused, becomes a laser which can cut through steel. One time, Thomas Edison was asked by a reporter how he became so successful. He answered, The ability to apply my physical and mental energies to one problem incessantly without growing weary is my secret to success. When a reporter suggested that Edison imposed a rather severe schedule on himself and was very smart, the inventor laughed and looked at the reporter saying, you do something all day long, don't you? Everyone does. If you get up at 7 a.m. and go to bed at 11, you have 16 good hours. And it's certain that most people have been doing something all that time. The only difference is they do it about a great many things. I do it about one. That is is focus. So staying focused on our objective requires first a clear target to aim for and second avoiding distractions. Third and finally it requires staying spiritually refreshed. God established the pattern of working six days and then resting. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God does not rest because he's physically tired. It appears that he rested to celebrate and enjoy his work. His example is a pattern for his image bearers. Like him, we are assigned the work of developing the potential of creation, but also to rest and reflect upon our work. When this pattern is made one of the Ten Commandments, God adds that this Sabbath rest is to the Lord. The implication is that our rest and celebration of our work, our mission, is reflecting upon with our boss the work he assigned us to develop the world that he created and is now redeeming. Could it be that the Lord's Day as a day free from our regular work routine is not given to us as a restriction so we can worry about whether we can watch the NFL or basketball at this time of year, but as a profound gift, a day specially set apart for renewal, reflection, celebration of the God whose creation we are to develop and redeem. Jesus said man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man to be a blessing. Could you find one hour on a Sunday morning before church, afternoon, or evening to reflect specifically upon your mission with the one who assigned it to you? 
as Thomas Edison understood, there is tremendous power in a focused life. To summarize this episode, as I wrestled this week to consider where our God-given calling as men slams against the strongest headwinds in our culture, I realized that it might be in being the spiritual leaders of our homes that Jesus wants us to be. Perhaps the greatest power that stops us dead in our tracks as we try to be spiritual leaders is the question, where do I start? What am I supposed to actually do? We saw that though we are given the position of authority in our homes and using it to train our children is essential to their character development away from being self-centered, using authority to impose consequences for wrong behavior is only part of leadership. Spiritual leadership in the home is creating a desire in your wife and in your children to want to follow you as you follow Christ. Effective leadership requires successfully accomplishing three processes, modeling, leading from our own lives and staying focused ourselves on growing into full maturity in Christ. We saw that that requires first a concrete target that makes our objective and spiritual maturity clear. Second, avoiding distractions, seeing the 24 hours I'm given each day as a gift to be invested for Jesus' honor. And third, building the habit of reflecting on our mission with our commander-in-chief, who just might have given us the gift of the Lord's Day, in part, to do just that. We also saw the second and third parts of the leadership process, which require us to build a meaningful love relationship with our followers and to equip them to accomplish our objective, which in this case is spiritual maturity. Those are our topics for next time. For further prayerful thought, number one, how would you answer the question, what does it mean to be the spiritual leader of a Christian home? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage, it's a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we continue our study of where our God-given calling as men slams against the strongest headwinds coming at us. We will continue to look at leadership with a focus on how to win the hearts of our followers and then the most neglected part of leadership, equipping those under our care to reach spiritual maturity. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ, as together we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well.